0: Today on CityCast Salt Lake, if you live in Salt Lake and are on Twitter, there's a solid chance you follow Wasatch Snow Forecast. The account, run by meteorologist and skier Evan Thayer, is a delightful, educational, and often hilarious way to get winter weather updates. Today I caught up with the man behind the memes to ask what we can learn from this year's snow and ski season. It's Monday, May 2nd, 2022. I'm Allie Bayarte, and this is CityCast Salt Lake. Hi, Evan. Welcome to CityCast Salt Lake.
1: Thanks, Allie. It's good to be here.
0: It's good to have you here. I'm excited to talk about the weather. It feels very polite.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We're coming towards the end of the season and just winding down and there's a lot to to talk about and wrap up with this whole ski season and I'm excited to talk about it.
0: Yeah, same. Um, so my first question for you is really about the Wasatch Snow Forecast Twitter page, because it is excellent. I feel like it is very like it is an iconic Utah institution and quickly becoming a bigger and bigger one every day. Tell me about this page. Like It is a convergence of kind of a little bit of everything that makes the internet fun
1: strangely, I started writing these forecasts, you know, over a decade ago and I started a Twitter page and I never touched it. Like never. (laughs) I was using other social media platforms. Yeah, Twitter is set up for my personality, which is kind of sharing little anecdotes and one-liners and having fun about the weather. So it's just the perfect platform for me. So I started using them more and more. And yeah, it's kind of, I guess, for a lack of a better term, it snowballed. And so that yeah. might have quite a following on there and it's fun.
0: I think a good example of that is a recent tweet about how the whale, that was sort of an <laughs> intersection of like the whale discourse with the fact that we had had a lot of snow.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The ninth and ninth whale. It's just funny because, you know, I live here locally in the Salt Lake Valley and that was a topic of conversation on Twitter everywhere I saw for at the beginning of April here in 2022. So that whale went up and suddenly everybody had an opinion on it. And of course, I'm here and I don't really have an opinion, but I like to make jokes. And I noticed the correlation between it starting snowing a whole bunch this month and that whale being installed. So suddenly I just decided, hey, maybe it's the whale that's giving us this snow. So it's become a running joke now that this is the night the ninth snow whale. And we almost praise and give sacrifice to the whale for it to snow next year and beyond.
0: I'm open to it. <laughs> I feel like whatever works. Right. And <laughs> I've always point. said that,
1: I, you know, I'm all about those superstitions. If you have a superstition and you think it works and summoning snow, I say go for it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's very farmer's almanac of you.
1: Hey, that's OK. I'll continue encouraging people to, you know, snow summoning rituals, whatever they may be. And if they work or if people think they work, that's all that matters. That's
0: I, that's that's pretty true. I'm curious what you think. Like, you know, to sort of get into the weather here, what you think will characterize the 2021-2022 ski season and snow season? Like, how are, how do we reflect on it?
1: Uh, extremes. It was a winter of total extremes. Uh, we went yeah. started incredibly snowy in October, then went completely dry in November and the first part of December. And then the last three weeks of December, it just did not stop snowing. And so we went from
0: mm-hmm.
1: a way below average snowpack at the beginning of the month to a way above average snowpack as we turned to the new year. And then we just flatlined. We saw almost no snow through much of January and February. And that above average snowpack suddenly was below average. And then we've spent the last couple of much months catching up and trying to get back to closer to a normal snowpack. So it was just. Total extremes, uh, you know, powder day every other day for a period and then no snow for weeks on end. So definitely an interesting season.
0: Yeah. How should we be thinking about these extremes? Do they frighten you?
1: They do. Yes. Um, They seem to be happening more often. Now, weather's always had extremes. We've always had, you know, snowy periods and dry periods, but we seem to be having more. They seem to be a little bit snowier or drier or a little bit longer the duration than they used to be uh, they frighten me a lot. I mean we are in a 20 year drought here in the southwest in the Great Basin and it's all over. You've seen it in the media and it's covered extensively but this season is not going to help. We did not have a good enough season to put any dent in the drought. In fact it's probably going to be worse this summer than it was last summer. So it's very concerning not just from a recreational standpoint but water is life and we need that resource. And if we don't have it, things are going to have to change and will change.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and the governor, Governor Cox just declared a state of emergency, but it's like, okay, but we had a state of emergency last year. So at what point, like, is there a super state of emergency? Like, how do we, like, I don't even really understand what the future looks like. Are we, I mean, are we just going to be in kind of a perpetual state of
1: emergency? That, Yes, we are. We should be. I mean, the problem with that is that when you're in a perpetual state of emergency, eventually, you know, it kind of wears off. And you saw it with the pandemic that people get fatigued by this perpetual panic, but we just can't. We cannot let ourselves get fatigued.
0: You have talked a lot about climate change on the page. And I'm curious to the point of sort of our leaders taking action, what would you like to see the ski community do about it?
1: You know, the ski communities, they're kind of on the front lines of climate change because it's a sport and an industry that's reliant on snow. And what I'd like to see them do is raise the alarm bells, let people know. And they're doing that. I mean, the ski industry is doing a lot right now to say things need to change. I think the problem is that the ski industry truly can't do anything other than raise awareness i mean there's nothing right in skiing that can change really to you know they're a very low carbon emission industry we can encourage folks to take buses and take alternate transportation but essentially all the skier you can do ski industry can do is say hey we are threatened by what's going on and if you enjoy skiing you need to pressure lawmakers pressure companies you know, enact legislation that will make a positive impact on this and hopefully help future generations.
0: Are there particular things you'd like to see policymakers enact?
1: I think we need to get more regulations on industry. I think there's kind of this, um, hey, everybody, individual consumers need to drive less or go electric or reduce mm-hmm, their carbon mm-hmm. footprint. The facts don't really back that up. I think industry And large industry is what's creating more carbon than anything else. So I would love to see lawmakers go after that.
0: Yeah, I'm reminded of the tweet. I think it was Chevron, but it might have been Exxon, on Earth, the Earth Day tweet that they had that was like, are you interested in learning what you can do about the climate crisis? And people were like, are you?
1: (laughs) Carbon footprint that term was coined by the gas industry, oil and gas to kind of put the onus on us to fix the problem. Mm-hmm. There's a reason they're doing that, is they're trying to take the blame off of themselves. And you know, they've got lobbyists and stuff. It's I think it's easier even for politicians to say, tell the people, hey, we need to work as together to get this done really when I think it's these industries that need to have pressure put on them.
0: Right. I wanna talk a little bit about the Great Salt Lake because she's in a bad way It's definitely in the news. I know there is a relationship between the Great Salt Lake and our ski season. Can you lay that out for me
1: a little bit? There's kind of this myth that a lot of our snow comes from the Great Salt Lake or is because of the Great Salt Lake. That's not really true. Uh, The maximum amount of snow that we get from the Great Salt Lake is probably less than 5% of our total snowpack. And that's from lake effect or enhanced snow. There's only a few localized areas that might have a slight additional amount of precipitation that falls directly due to the lake. So if it were to dry up completely today in terms of total snowfall, I don't think that's going to change more than, you know, 10 or 15 inches, which is not much um, up in the Mm -hmm. cottonwoods where they're averaging over 500 inches in a season. But there's other impacts of not having a great salt lake um there's a lot of very loose dirt and sediment that will get kicked up when cold fronts and you know storms push in we see that frequently and now in the spring especially we see these dust storms that move through the wasatch front uh with cold fronts and the air gets completely dusty and what people don't realize is that's depositing dust on the snowpack and each time those storms come through Even if it snows afterwards and covers the dust, eventually when the snow starts to melt, that dust rises to the surface, and that absorbs more sunlight and more warmth, and the snow starts melting off rapidly. So what we're seeing is we're seeing our snowpack being depleted sooner in the season, and it's melting out faster. And that's bad, because we really want a nice gradual melt-off in the spring. It's... Much better for water resources, and we can use that water if it's a gradual melt-off. But when it suddenly rapidly melts off, it's much harder to use those water resources.
0: Is there anything else I should ask you about this this snow season that we've had? And
1: Every season's different, because I can sit here and spout numbers. But a skier's perception of the ski season is totally different. So a really good year can sometimes not ski very well, and really poor year's can ski pretty well. So I mean, a lot of time that's in the eye of the beholder in the skier. Everybody will tell you a different answer. But I will say that this last ski season, one of the things we did see is we saw storms come back to like midweek powder days and storms, which from a skiing perspective for me is good, because last year we got like greater than fifty percent of our snow fell on either Friday or Saturday, which was Great for people who could only go up on the weekend and they got lots of powder days and stuff, but it was an absolute nightmare for traffic and getting to the ski resorts.
0: Yeah, it is interesting to kind of, I think right now the debate it seems like is trying to square the need to increase accessibility in this sport. And you could argue that something like the Icon Pass really does that. I mean, it makes this a much more affordable thing to do for a lot of people, Um With the fact that increased traffic, increased number of skiers has in and of itself a footprint and the resorts have to figure out how to manage that. Or in the case that we're in now, it seems like the counties and the state are also getting in on trying to figure out how to manage that.
1: Yep. You hit the nail on the head. I mean, you hit the nail on the head that these mega passes, as they're called, Epic Pass, Icon Pass, they're great for increasing accessibility to the sport. Uh, a lot of people who may have been priced out before can now get a season pass for their entire family and go ski. But because of that, what we're seeing is we see higher lift ticket prices and that's not a coincidence. You're not supposed to buy a lift ticket. That's the whole idea. That's why these lift tickets are astronomically high, but the season passes are relatively affordable. That's because the resorts are trying to say, we want you to buy a season pass. And what that does is somebody who may have skied four or five days before and just bought lift tickets each time is now saying, well, it's more economical for me to just buy a season pass because they're pretty cheap and I get all these mountains. And then they end up skiing 20 days instead of four or five. And they spend more money's worth. Yeah, They get their money's worth. Um, They spend more money on the mountain and the resort makes more money off of food and other you know merchandise and and that's good it's great that they get up and ski more but that's the cause of a lot of this traffic and crowding i mean i think the skier statistics show that we're seeing more skier days so people are skiing more but the actual percentage of americans who consider themselves skiers is actually dropping and has been dropping consistently so we have fewer skiers but they're skiing more and therefore the skier days are still going up
0: yeah Do you want to talk about the gondola? (laughs) Does does Wasatch Snow Forecast have an official stance on the proposed gondola up Little Cottonwood?
1: I do not have an official stance. Um, (laughs) I do not think a gondola is going to solve the problem. Um, Because I think the vast majority of people who are going up there are... Going up there locally, who go up there for a short period of the day and just want to get up there quick, ski, and leave. And when I think about what it would be like for me to personally to take the gondola, right now, I'd say 90% of the times I want to go skiing in Little Cottonwood Canyon, I can get to Snowbird or Alta within 20 minutes from my house in Sandy. It's very easy. And then I think about the gondola and I go, okay, I would have to park somewhere at the mouth and get all my gear out. And then walk so that's a 10 minute drive to get to the gondola then it would be i'd have to walk i'd probably have to wait in line you know the the, i think it's a thousand people per hour that go up and so there's likely to be a line i highly doubt it's just gonna be walk on gondola cars but i think about all that and then they say it's like a 25 minute trip up the canyon and it could be beautiful it could be a great experience but i look at it and i think okay Best case scenario, it takes me an hour to go to and from skiing every day, and I go that's that's so much more time than it currently takes me. I just don't see people committing to spending more of their day lugging skis around and getting in a you know a gondola car and going up there because they just want to drive. They want it to be as quick as possible. Mm-hmm. I do think increasing and making the buses bus system easier and simpler and year-round would be a great way to encourage people to get up there because I take the bus pretty frequently and it's great. I mean, it goes the normal speed of traffic. It's comfortable. I don't have to think about it. I kind of doze off or listen to a podcast or something on my way up and drops me off right there at the base of the lift. I have to take maybe 30 or 40 steps to get to the lift and super simple for me. Like the bus is a great option and it doesn't really slow down the whole process that much. A little bit, but not a whole bunch.
0: It's how so many people globally in metropolitan areas commute. Like a bus is something that we've shuddered at in this country for some reason. We've really chosen to prioritize the car, but it is how so many people in this world commute and they don't bat an eye at it and they, it can be a really great experience. I thought it was interesting um, that council member Jim Bradley, when he took basically a public stance in opposition to the gondola, His case for it was, this is a permanent solution to perhaps a temporary problem because our snow forecasting tells us that we don't know what skiing is going to be like in 10 or 20 years. We don't know if it's going to be a primary driver in this state. The fear is we're not going to see the kind of powder seasons that we have in the past and it could dramatically alter the industry. Do you have thoughts on that?
1: I I agree to an extent. I mean, I don't think the changes are going to be rapid enough that, you know, it would totally negate the idea of a gondola. I think we'll still have plenty of skiing here 20 years from now. Um, It might be different, but I think skiing will still exist in Utah and still be good in Utah 20 years from now, because this is a very gradual problem that will take decades and even centuries to unfold. So I don't really see that as an argument against the gondola. But he's right. I mean, he he's right that a bus is something that's much easier to adjust and change if need be. But if we go the route of a gondola and people don't want to take it and they're not incentivized to use the gondola, I just fear that it could just kind of sit there and be a eyesore of that, hey, we tried this really expensive thing that doesn't work, that people don't use. So I kind of fear that that could be the case.
0: Yeah. Evan thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it. Yeah,
1: thanks for having me, Ali. It was fun.
0: Yeah, it was great chatting with you. Meet the man behind the memes.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, and if you, you want to go along for the ride, go ahead and follow me on Twitter at, at @wasatchnow.
0: Absolutely. We already do. <laughs> All right. Thank you. <laughs> A little news before we go. At the end of March, employees at the Starbucks in Cottonwood Heights filed for unionization with the Workers' United Labor Union. Starbucks did not voluntarily recognize the union, which means the employees of the store will have an election administered by the National Labor Relations Board. Cottonwood Heights employees have been waiting for the NLRB to set a date for their election, and they now officially have one. Friday, May 27th. If more than 50% of employees vote yes on the union, Cottonwood Heights will be the first Starbucks union in Utah. That's all for us today here on CityCast Salt Lake. This Sunday is Mother's Day, and if you're a Salt Lake mom, I'd love to know what you want for Mother's Day. Is it childcare? The perfect omelet? Pay parity? Please give me a call at 801-203-0137 and leave a voicemail. I'd love to share your Mother's Day wish lists on the show. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Bye. Bye.